Tonight, I am excited because we're moving on in chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4, if you brought your Bibles, and we're going to be talking about the scene in heaven. My goal is to finish chapter 4 tonight and then uh, move into chapter 5 next week. And so basically, we've come to a major change in this book, as I referred to and, and looked at last week a little bit. Uh, you recall that Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 provides us a very good outline for the entire book of Revelation, where Revelation 1, 9 says, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Basically, that verse in Revelation 1.19 talks about past, present, and future. Now, with that being said, Revelation chapter 1 dealt with the past John had seen. Revelation 2 and 3, the, the letters of Jesus to the seven churches in Asia Minor, dealt with the present in John's day. And then, really, the rest of the book, Revelation 4 through chapter 22, deals with the future the future of what's going to happen. And really that, that agrees with Revelation 4.1 that says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And so that's all in agreement with, with the beginning of this chapter as well. And uh, therefore in our study of Revelation 4-22, through 22, keep in mind that we are looking at the future. We also believe, and I dealt with this extensively last Wednesday evening, we also believe that uh, uh, when it comes time for Revelation 4, the church will be in heaven looking down. The church has been raptured. We dealt with that last week, gave you six reasons for that. And I have some of those outlines still in the front pew if you missed last week as well. But basically, Revelation chapter 4 is an exciting chapter in that John describes the throne, the 24 elders, and then he talks about uh, the four living creatures. And so we're going to follow on your outline, or what I handed out here. Uh, for that, we're going to talk about worship, the second part of that tonight as well. But the first few verses there, we're going to talk about three things, the throne, the 24 elders, and the four living creatures. So first of all, the throne. Revelation chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. First of all, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take, what must take place soon um, uh, after this, I should say. The word soon is not in there. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald, encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24, eld uh, 24 other thrones, and seated on them were the 24 elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Let me just pause right there for a minute, talking about then the throne in heaven. Uh, the word throne occurs 40 times in the New Testament. 40 times in the New Testament. 30 of these 40 are in Revelation. The word throne appears in every chapter of Revelation except chapter 2, 8, and 9. The throne is a symbol of authority. That of authority. 
And so uh, keep in mind that times were hard in John's day. Believers were suffering from cruel rulers. In the tribulation, things will get worse, as we'll get to. But therefore, John, or God gave John a vision of his throne in heaven. And why did he do that? I think he wanted to encourage John, as well as the church of today, uh, those that would read this and those who are blessed because they do, but basically encouraging us to say, hey, you know something? When all hell's breaking loose, God's still on his throne and God still has the final say and the final word. All right? And so basically, it's that of encouragement. Uh, God is in control. And now, there's a, there's a great contrast between the rulers of earth and the throne of the Lord God Almighty of heaven. And so John then uses the colorful stone to describe uh, the appearance of God on his throne. He said that the Lord appeared as Jasper and Carnelian in Revelation 21, verse 11. He said the Jasper was clear as crystal. The Carnelian stone was a red stone from Sardis, and an emerald green rainbow surrounded the throne. Now, think about this. We have the, the reddish, you know, orangish color or whatever, and then the green. What a contrast that would have been as well. And, and I would encourage you, and I, I didn't do this, but I looked it up, but didn't get a PowerPoint slide for it. But if you will look up, just type in Revelation chapter 4 and look at the images online, it gives you a kind of a visual of what this will be like and what it looked like. And there's like a lot, a lot of pictures on the internet that would depict this scene. And so the contrast between the fiery presence of God and the green, no doubt, must have been beautiful. And John seems to say that God looked like an orange, red-hot coal that glowed in a fire. Uh, now keep that in mind because the Bible often uses fire as a symbol of God's presence. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, Acts chapter 2, 3 and 4, Revelation 19, 12. Even Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a fire, a consuming fire, a fire that consumes. And so God's glory was so great that John could not see anything but the bright colorful light. Uh, you recall that Paul describes God as one who lives in light and that is too bright to come near in 1 Timothy 6, 16. Uh, for many, God's presence sounds frightening, but, but keep in mind also that Jesus promises that we will see his face. And so it's nothing to be frightened at. Uh, we're going to see him as he is. And then uh, 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says this, But dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. As John Bevere said, if we're going to be like him, that means one of us must change, and it's not going to be him, it's going to be us. All right, And we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And, and, and uh, once again, we're going to talk about the believer's role in holiness in just a few, few minutes tonight. But uh, how many have heard of, of Handel's Messiah? All right, Handel's Messiah. Um, it's a famous, uh, he, he was a famous writer of church music. He is best known for the Messiah. Uh, if you were to sing it from beginning to end, it would take you two and a half hours to sing it, to sing it all. It's great theme of the Messiah uh, is from Revelation. 
And the great theme is that God reigns. Someone asked Handel how he was able to write this inspiring music. He said that he saw the heavens opened and God upon his great white throne. For 24 days after Handel had this vision, songs for 24 days flowed from him. What does that tell us? When you and I need to be encouraged, picture God high and lifted up and sitting on his throne. When, when everything's coming against you, when things aren't working out or whatever, keep in mind that God is on his throne, that of authority. And so we have the first point, the throne in heaven, and then Revelation 4.4, 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, Revelation mentions the 24 elders 12 times. Let me quickly give you where those are found if you're taking notes. Uh, first of all, Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. They sat on 24 thrones dressed in white and gold crowns on their heads surrounding the throne. Next one, number two, is Revelation 4.10. They worshipped the one on the throne along with the four living creatures laying their crowns before the throne. In Revelation number three, Revelation 5.5, the uh, one elder declares that Jesus is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Uh, number four, fourth reference is chapter 5, verse 6. They encircled the lamb standing in the center of the throne along with the four living creatures. Uh, the fifth reference, there's 12 references. Number five is Revelation 5, 8 through 10. They fall down before the Lamb with songs of praise as he takes the scroll. We go on to the sixth reference, chapter 5 again, verse 11. With the Lamb and the four living creatures, they are encircled by millions of angels singing praises to the Lamb. Chapter 5, 14 is the seventh reference. They fall down in worship as all creatures in heaven and on earth saying praises to the Lamb. The eighth reference, chapter 7, verse 11. They watch as a great multitude comes out of the great tribulation. Speaking of the 24 elders. Uh, next reference, number 9, is chapter 7, verse 13. One elder asks, who are the ones in white robes and where did they come from? The tenth reference, chapter Revelation chapter 11 15 and 16, they are seated on their thrones before God, worshiping Him when the seventh angel blows His trumpet and the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. The 11th reference, chapter 14, verses 1 and 3, they are near the throne when the 144,000 are with the Lord on Mount Zion and sing a new song. And the 12th and final reference in this book comes from chapter 19 verse 4 they fall down with the four living creatures and worship God when the great multitude in heaven shouts amen hallelujah and so we have 12 references uh, to the 24 elders in revelation now the number 24 represents could represent all whom God has redeemed uh, think about it this way there were thousands of priests in the old testament but in 1 Chronicles chapters 24 and 25, it tells us that the priests were divided into 24 groups. One priest represented each group. Together, the 24 priests represented the entire group of priests. Likewise, the 24 elders may represent all 
of God's priests. That's one possibility. Now, who are the priests of the New Testament? I mean, God has a special plan for Israel. He wanted the whole nation to be his priests. In Exodus 19, 5 and 6, it says, Now, if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, guess what? Israel refused to serve God as God's priests. Now God's plan is for all believers to become priests, priests that serve God. And so basically our work is then to lead others in knowing who he is. And my question is, you know, what do priests do? Priests serve God. Priests represent God and his kingdom. Priests lead people out of darkness into God's marvelous light. We also have 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9 uh, Peter says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Revelation emphasizes that believers are priests of God. Um, keep in mind that we are to be the priesthood of believers. It's not the priesthood of priests. That means the priesthood is not just open to those that might be called as pastors, you know, but it's for all followers of Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen yourself as a priest? Hopefully you do. Now, what happens when you don't fulfill God's call on your life as a follower of Christ, as his priest? Some, some aren't going to hear. Some aren't going to know. And so we have a job to do, and that's the point I'm trying to make. Now, only a few are called to be pastors, but God wants all believers to be priests. And so it's our responsibility, church, to be priests to our families to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, whoever it might be. And so we have to fulfill that and do the job that God's called us to do. Once again, a priest represents the kingdom of God and God himself. And, and basically, if we're not a priest to those around us, who will be? So you are a priest, called of God, chosen by God to represent him and his kingdom. Uh, so it's possible that Revelation emphasizes then uh, the 24 elders as priests, but then also the 24 elders, keep in mind, sat on thrones. Recall that Jesus promised uh, that we who overcome would sit with him on his throne as he sits on his father's throne, Revelation 3.21. It's also possible, one other possible explanation of this is is that the 12 elders uh, uh, that 12 of the 24 represent the Old Testament believers and likewise the other 12 may represent New Testament believers you know some say that the, the, the 12 or the 12 tribes in the Old Testament 12 apostles New Testament and the foundation therefore uh, we don't know but we do know what they're doing and that is worshiping God and so, really, there's no explanation there, but we do know they're dressed in white, which is the white righteousness of Christ. We do know they have crowns of gold, and, uh, and so uh, keep that in mind, you know, not to go where Scripture doesn't go, but we kind of like the answers of that, and we really don't have one for that. 
Let's talk about then the next thing is the four living creatures. Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. It says, Also before the throne were, uh, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes. In front and in back, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Pause right there. Now, the four living creatures, four angelic creatures were near the throne. The 24 elders surrounded them. Once again, Revelation mentions these four living creatures 13 times. Walking through that briefly here, the first time, Revelation 4, 6, they, they surround the throne of God covered with eyes in front and back. Revelation 4, 7, we have first the lion, the ox, face like a man, and then flying, the flying eagle. Uh, chapter 4, verse 8, third reference. Each creature has six wings and is covered with eyes even under his wings. Fourth reference, chapter 4, verse 8, day and night they declare the holiness of God. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, fifth reference, with the 24 elders they encircle the Lamb who stands in the center of the throne. And then sixth reference is, is Revelation 5, 18 through 14, each has a harp and a golden bowl of incense. They sang and praise and fall down before the Lamb, declaring amen while surrounded by multitudes of angels. The seventh reference, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. The first creature shows the, uh, shows the white horse and the rider of the first seal. The eighth reference is chapter 6, 3 and 4. The second creature shows the fiery red horse and the rider of the second seal. The ninth reference is chapter 6, verse 5, where it says the third creature uh, shows the black horse and the rider of the third seal. The tenth reference, chapter 6, 7, and 8. The fourth creature shows the pale horse and the rider of the fourth seal. And then the eleventh reference is chapter 7, 11, and 12. The angels, elders, and the four living creatures surround the throne and fall down to worship God as the great multitude comes out of the great tribulation. And then the twelfth reference, chapter 14, verse 3. They are near the throne when the 144,000 are gathered unto the Lord on Mount Zion. And the final 13th reference is chapter 19, verse 4. Once again, they fall down the 24 elders and worship God when the great multitude in heaven shouts, Amen, Hallelujah. 13 references, 13 times it mentions the four living creatures. Now, any idea of why God created the four living creatures as He did? Once again, we have... Uh, the four living creatures, the, uh, the lion, the ox, a man, and a flying eagle. Why did God create these, these creatures as God did? What do you think? Anyone? You want to take a guess? Because we don't know. It's not given to us once again. We're not sure. Um, so who do you think the four living creatures represent? Characters of believers, possible. Okay. Anyone else? What's that? 
messengers, okay? Do you have your hand up or are you just scratching? You got to be careful. You scratch your head, I'm going to call on you. All right, think about it this way. This is a one person's uh, possibility. Like a lion, king of the wild animals. Like an ox, king of serving animals. Face like a man, king of God's creation. Like a flying eagle, king of all birds. Together, these four living creatures may represent the beauty and strength in, in all of God's creation. Possibility. The beauty and strength in all of God's creation. Uh, Romans 8, 21 to 23 says that all creation is groaning. The creation is waiting for the day of our redemption. When that day comes, the groaning will stop and the singing will start. Hallelujah. All right. Together, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, though, worship God. So my point is this. It's not so important to know uh, who the 24 elders are or why there are 24. Neither is it very important to understand much about the four living creatures. I think the most important thing to understand regarding be it the 24 elders or the four living creatures are what they're doing, and that is they are worshiping God. They are crying out to God, holy, holy, holy. And so basically they are all worshiping God. And, and that just tells me that God deserves praise from every living thing that God has created. I mean, Psalm 150, verse 6, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then Psalm 103, 19 through 22, The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And so we kind of we end that part of chapter 4, beginning of uh, middle of chapter 4, and we move on to the second part, and it talks about then the worship of God. The worship of God. Quick question, what is worship? What is worship? Someone asks you, what's worship? What would you say? Pam. An expression of our love to God. Okay. Anyone else? What is worship? Karen. Okay. Admiring someone's worth. Worthship. Yes, worthy. Okay, what else? Our best. Our best effort to give God the glory that He deserves. Okay, I mean worship can include loving, praising, admiring, honoring, obeying, and serving God. Jesus says the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, Mark 12, 30. Uh, but that verse also gives us some insight into what worship is. We worship what we love with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, people do not always realize what they worship. Uh, we worship God when He is the focus of our heart, emotions, and affections. We worship God when He is the center of our mind and thoughts. We worship God when we use our strength to serve and please Him. We worship God with words and our songs, even in a church service, whatever. But worship is much more than all that. Worship is the focus 
of a person's life. You will worship what you focus on. You will worship what you focus on. Paul urges us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God and says this complete, continuous commitment of our life to God is our spiritual act of worship, Romans 12, verse 1. Uh, don't answer it out loud, but think about this. What do, you, what do you admire the most in life? What do you dream about doing or becoming? What do you think about the most? What do you talk about the most? You know, what do you spend your money on? What do you use your time and your strength to do? You know, questions like those can help us define and identify what we worship. Um, what are some things that people worship today? What's that? Material things, material possessions, okay? Stuff. What else? Social media. What else? Themselves and their opinions. <laughs> yes. All right. The Kardashians. The Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> Money. All right. We worship a lot of things. I came across a couple of things on worship um, that I want to share with you. Um, Six essential reasons why worship matters. The importance of worship is huge. Worship matters. Worship matters to God. Worship matters to us. Often we allow personal distractions to get in the way. You know, sometimes we go to church, but we don't worship. Sometimes we, we sing songs and hymns and choruses, but we don't worship. We listen to sermons, but we don't worship. We serve in a ministry area, but we don't worship. You see, all those things can be elements of worship, but they are not worship in and of themselves, which means you can do all those things I mentioned and still fail to worship God. You see, worship is and becomes a lifestyle. It's the gathering of believers to practice our beliefs in celebration of Him. Praise is the expression we give to the worship we live. And so six reasons why it's important to worship, because worship, number one, involves our surrender or surrendering our lives to God. Uh, I already read Romans 12, 1 to you. Number two, worship is putting our focus on God. Uh, true worship is based on the desire to honor God. It requires a personal revelation of God as found in the scriptures. Uh, worship is not based on my likes or dislikes. It's not based on my personal preferences or priorities. It's a focus on Him and who He is. Uh, worship also, thirdly, gets or involves getting out of the way. Uh, we have to learn at times to remove our worries, our opinion, our questions, and ourselves so we can worship with appropriate honor. It's letting go. Uh, fourthly, worship involves personal sacrifice. Praise can be easier when times are good or after we've had a big victory. It requires a sacrifice of our feelings and even fears so we can give Him the focus that He deserves. Uh, Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Fifthly, we must worship in the face of pain and loss. I mean, King David knew and demonstrated what it meant to worship in the, in the face of loss and pain. His baby died. He prayed and prayed, but his baby still died. Now, we can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. But because the loss of a loved one is great to, to bear for anybody. 
But after the baby died, the Bible says, then David got up from the, uh, from the ground. After he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And so it's important that in times, even in times of pain and heartache and loss, that we move toward God rather than away from God. Uh, and then worship is celebrating who God is and what he has done. And so that's an aspect of worship. Uh, anybody know here when in the Bible... When is worship first mentioned, law first mentioned? When was worship first mentioned in the Bible? Anyone? Book of Genesis. Who said it? No. Abraham. Abraham offering Isaac. Uh, my, the lad and I are going to go worship. In that, in that context, and I forgot who it was, um, a singer... Uh, Ron Canoli, I think it was. Ron Canoli, I heard at a conf worship conference years, years, years ago, talked about this, never forgot this illustration. But he, said, he put it in the context of worship in Abraham offering Isaac. His act of worship was simply obeying God. He obeyed God, therefore he worshiped. First time in the Bible it's mentioned. Not one reference to, to songs, to choruses, to hymns, or any of that. It all is about the obedience of the heart. Now, this is uh, from, I gotta think here, um, ex excerpt from Exploring Worship, a Practical Guide to Praise and Worship by Bob Sorge. Worship is giving to God and involves a lifetime of giving to Him the sacrifice He asked for, our total selves. Worship is our affirmative response to the self-revelation of the triune God. For the Christian, each act of life is an act of worship when it's done with love that responds to the Father's love. Living should be constant worshiping since worship may be said to provide the metabolism for spiritual life. Thirdly, worship was the outcome of the fellowship of love between the Creator and man and is the highest point man can reach in response to love of God. Fourthly, worship is one's heart expression of love, adoration, and praise to God with an attitude of acknowledgement of His supremacy and lordship. Number five, he writes, worship is an act by, is an act by a redeemed man, the creature, toward God, His creator. We'll talk about that last point I'm making. But uh, whereby His will, intellect, and emotions gratefully respond in reverence, honor, and devotion to the revelation of Christ. Number six, worship means to feel in the heart. Worship means to express in some appropriate manner what we feel. Seven, true worship and praise are awesome wonder and overpowering love in the presence of our God. Eight, worship is the ability to magnify God with our whole being, body, soul, and spirit. Nine, the heart of true worship is the unashamed pouring out of our inner self upon the Lord Jesus Christ in affectionate devotion. Uh, that was number nine. Number ten, worship is fundamentally God's spirit within us contacting the spirit of the Godhead. Eleven, worship is the response of God's spirit in us to the spirit in him, whereby we answer, Abba, Father, it's deep calling unto deep. Twelve, worship is the ideally normal attitude of a rational creature properly related to the Creator. 13, my favorite one. I love this one. It's simple. Worship is extravagant love and extreme obedience. Worship is extravagant love and extreme obedience. And 14, and finally, worship is conversation between God and man, a dialogue that should go on constantly in the life of a Christian. 
Brian Dorkelson wrote a, a course years ago, I think back in the late 80s, early 90s, it's called Will You Worship? And it starts out where he says, deep in my soul is a tug of war. I'm struggling to know what this life is for. I try so hard to stay in control, to hold back the tears and not let go. I don't know why I hang on so long when I know the question you are asking me, and that is God's asking mankind, will you worship? Will you bow down before your Lord and King? Will you love me? Will you give me your heart, your everything? And then it goes on and transitions in the song, right here and now, I make my choice. With all my heart, I will answer you. I will worship. I will bow down before my Lord and King. I will love you. I will give you my heart. I will give you everything by Brian Dorkelson, part of the Vineyard Collection of Music. So, worship. Why is God worthy of worship? Number one, four reasons. Find my outline again. Where did I put it? Number one, because God is holy. The holiness of God. I'm looking, there it is. The holiness of God. God is holy. Uh, John saw the four living creatures near God's throne. Day and night, they never stopped saying, what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, why did John emphasize and write what then the four living creatures were saying? Why did they say it three times? What, what is, when, you, when you mention something three times, what, what are you trying to get across? This is important. Pay attention. The extra emphasis here. And so these four creatures live near the throne of God. Uh, they do not say God is love, God is love, God is love, even though God is love. John tells us that. Uh, nor do they say God is holy, loving, and merciful. They could have said many things. God is full of grace, you know, and whatever. No, they said holy, holy, holy. Why? Because God is a holy God. Now, what do we mean by saying God is holy? What does holiness mean? Without sin, being separate from, set apart from sin, there's twofold aspect of holiness. That's one of them. And so holiness is a separation from sin. God is holy. He is completely separated from sin. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. The second aspect, though, is a separation to a purpose or direction. We are separated from sin, but we are also separated unto Him. We are separated then to serve Him and to fulfill His purposes for our life. And so we worship God. Why? Because God is holy. God wants us to do more than just admire His holiness. God wants to transform us to be holy as he is holy. Without holiness, uh, we will not see God. And so that's part of it. So there's two parts in, in holiness, God's part and the believer's part. God's part in our holiness is to cleanse us from our sins, number one, and number two, to call and enable us to help fulfill his purpose. That's God's part. The believer's part in holiness is to receive the forgiveness of sin and to turn from sin, but also to daily offer ourselves to God and His purpose. So we will serve His purposes. Once again, holiness unto the Lord. Uh, we can see the two sides of holiness in that of Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 6. You'll recall the prophet had a vision of God. He saw the Lord on his throne, high and lifted up. The angels surrounded God and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Well, Isaiah was a great prophet, but, but but when God revealed his holiness to Isaiah, what was Isaiah's response? Woe unto me, I am undone. And what happened? Took the coal off the altar, touched his lips, and purified him, made him clean. I mean, Isaiah says, Woe unto me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah felt dirty. I can guarantee you, when you get close to God and the holiness of God, you too will have the same response as Isaiah did, and you will say, God, cleanse me, wash me. You know, purify me. That's the natural response. That was Isaiah's response. And so God took away Isaiah's guilt and sin, Isaiah 6, 6, and 7. Secondly, God separated Isaiah to his purposes. You know, who, who will go from whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, hey, I've been cleansed. Now I can serve your purposes. Do you see the, do you see the order there? We're cleansed, but we just don't enjoy the cleansing. We are cleansed for a purpose. All right, and that's the, I ask the aspect that I want us to see on, on holiness. Uh, Isaiah needed to stay separated from sin, but then he then after that focused on the purpose of God. God, here I am, you can send me, you can use me. And then, so basically God makes us holy by washing us in the blood of Jesus. Just a side note, for the next two Sundays I'll be preaching on the precious blood of Jesus. And so it's going to be powerful as I'm studying this, I'm going... This is, God, this is so awesome. I've been singing the songs. Uh, uh, what's the, 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 I put it on Facebook. Gail's her last name. Or is it first name? Check out Jill's Facebook page. Check out Jill's Facebook page. There's a, there's a link to a YouTube video on, on the blood of Jesus. And it's powerful. It's a great, it's a great song. We're going to be singing it in the next few weeks. So anyway, the holiness of God, uh, the blood of Christ makes us clean. Believers trust in his holiness we have in Christ. And yet, even though we've been cleansed by his blood, we still daily have to make choices. And that choice, that those choices need to then lean toward and be part of, of our lives being and staying clean uh, from, from sin. Matter of fact, 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. 2 Timothy 2.19. And then Hebrews 12.14, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Make every effort to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. We also have Peter saying to us in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be holy. Be set apart from sin. Be set apart unto him. Having been cleansed, you now serve his purposes. Be holy in all you do. And Peter says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy, God says. And so we have a part to play as we cooperate with God, as we daily make choices to live as being set apart from sin as unto him in this aspect of holiness. 
Number two, no, number one, we worship because God is holy. Number two, we worship because He is the Lord God Almighty. Now, God is worthy of worship because there is none like Him, period. Nine times in Revelation, John refers to the Father as the Lord God Almighty. Almighty. It's an important title. What does it mean? Well, it emphasizes that He is the one above all. He is the divine, all-powerful God who rules the universe. Now, humans, even like the Roman rulers, do not deserve worship. The human antichrist with, with uh, Satan's power does not deserve worship. Satan himself does not deserve worship. Recall that Satan tried to get Jesus to bow down and worship him, but Jesus answered, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Serve him only. And then we have Revelation 22, 8 through 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he, the angel, said to me, Do not do it, for I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. And the angel says, Worship God. God and God alone are to be worshipped. America is in the condition America is in because America has gotten her eyes off the Lord God Almighty. And we worship all kinds of things and all kinds of stuff nowadays. And yet we know from Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, the Lord says. No other gods, no idols, number two. And so basically, once again, we are to be focused on Him and on Him alone. God alone is worthy of worship. Also keep in mind that God is, is a jealous lover. God's a jealous lover. All right? He forbids us to bow to any, any below him. And so we bow down to God because God is at the very top. We commit ourselves to his purpose because there is none above him. He is the Lord God Almighty. Recall that John, once again, uses this title nine times in Revelation, number two. Number three, he is worthy of worship because he is eternal. Unlike everything else that exists, God is eternal. He had no beginning and he has no end. Angels, humans, and animals all have birthdays in the sense that they had a beginning. The sun, moon, and stars have a beginning, but God is unique. The four living creatures cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, Revelation 4, 8, who was and is and is to come. Now, here's some descriptions of the eternal God. Revelation 1, 4, once again, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. Revelation 1, 6, His God and Father, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 1, 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 1, 17 and 18, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. 
I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And as, as he says, I hold the keys. All right. And then we have Revelation 2.8. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. The implication and everything in between. All right. He is our all in all. Revelation 4, verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation 4, 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, uh, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. Revelation 4.10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Revelation 5.13, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Revelation 7.12, saying amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. He is eternal. Revelation 10.6, And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them. Revelation 11.15, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Revelation 11.17, And we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was. Revelation 15.7, Then one of the four lives creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled the wrath of God who lives forever and ever and finally Revelation 16 5 you are just in these judgments you who are and who were the holy one so once again once again we emphasize that God is eternal who was and is and is to come forever and ever and ever now question does Jesus have a birthday and a death day Yes, the man Jesus was born in the flesh and died. But the Son of God is eternal spirit. He was in the beginning with God. There was a time when the man Jesus did not exist. The man Jesus. The man Jesus did not exist until he was born on earth. He had an earthly birth and death. But there was never a time when the Son of God did not exist. Like the Father, the Son, the Son is eternal. And so the, the, the eternity part of God, we worship Him because He is eternal. There is no one else like Him. Fourthly and finally, He is worthy of worship because He is the Creator. He is the Creator. All right, throughout the Bible, the Bible uh, people worship God because He is the Creator. Many psalms praise God for His creation. I just picked out a few of them, wrote these down, or I typed them out. Because God is Creator, Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. I have never seen with my, my, my eyes the northern lights. I've seen lots of pictures, lots of videos, and they are beautiful from what I've seen. I can't imagine seeing them in person. How many have seen the Northern Lights? Boom, 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 three, three of you. Wow, isn't that a cool thing to possibly see? Well, if I don't see it on this side of heaven, I'll have God play the video in heaven. But anyway, um, but Psalm, Psalm 19, verse 1, Psalm 65, 9 through 13, 
You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, so you have prepared it. Your water, its furrows, you water its furrows abundantly, setting its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Hallelujah. Psalm 89, verse 12. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. Psalm 96, 11 through 13. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Psalm 98, 7 through 9. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And then Psalm 148, 3 through 10. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. For he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all, and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creepy things and flying birds. Basically, it goes on, we are to praise God. Hallelujah. I love that because I, for one, like getting out in nature. Most of you know about me. How many of you enjoy God's creation? Always keep in mind, we worship the, the creator, not the creation. I enjoy God's creation. I marvel at God's creation, but I worship the creator. Amen? That's the point here. Uh, uh, Revelation 4.11. <clears throat> you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being hallelujah now paul speaks of the error of worshiping creation instead of the creator this includes worshiping other humans like caesar or even the antichrist now, romans 125 they exchanged the truth of god for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Even John emphasized that it's foolish to worship anything made with our hands. Revelation 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Now, consider the contrast between the creator and the creation. Think about it this way. How does God wrap a flower of a, of a fruit in a seed? How does God create a seed so it contains life? 
How do dirt, water, and sunshine help the seed instead of destroying it? Imagine a man trying to create a seed. We can plant a seed, but we can't create one. I went to Home Depot yesterday morning because spring's around the corner, and I checked all my seed packets, and I don't need much this year, but I was going to check on the onion sets because I have enough bean seed, enough pea seed from the peas I harvested after surgery one last year. I wasn't up there at the garden for three weeks, and the peas got huge, and I, and I shelled a bunch of pea pods for the peas themselves that I let dry, and then I planted some last fall, and I harvested my first sugar snap peas last week to make them a stir fry. Man doesn't create the seed. Only God the creator does that and it's wonderful to do that an artist can draw a picture of a man but god can create the man the artist paints how did god create the earth and stars how did he get a heavy object like earth to sit and spin on nothing how did he create a brown cow that eats green grass and gives white milk i don't know how did he form a human out of dirt and breathe life into him? Imagine a human trying to create another human from dirt. You see, we worship God because God and God alone is the creator. Always worship the creator, not his creation. His ability to create puts him on a level far above creation. On your own, read Job chapters 38 through 41. Let me close by reading to you Revelation 5.13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I always say it this way. This is great comfort. If there's a building, then there's a builder. If there's an automobile, there's a manufacturer. It stands to reason then that since there is a creation, there surely must be a creator. And yet we're told this all happened by chance. I will say to that person, you got better faith than I do. I'll stick with God and praising my creator God because he and he alone is worthy. Going back to Romans quickly, the reason that Bill and Patty are struggling with their granddaughter right now is because of Romans chapter 1. You read it in context. They choose to worship what they think versus what God has said, and God has given them over to a lie. Enough said. Bless you. Next week, chapter 5. We'll move into chapter 5, um, think in two weeks, but we'll see. But then we'll get into the judgments and the tribulation things are going to happen in chapter 6 on. So that's all i got to say. It is 717. God bless you all. This week be praying the blood, of the precious blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Charity Gail is her name. Charity, is that right? Charity Gill, yeah. And she was one of the authors of that song. Listen to it. It's very powerful. I have played it a half a dozen times the last two days. It's wonderful, all right? Bless you all.